That was my hand. That was so weird. Look. Oh, that was weird. <laughs> I'm so tired. Okay. Right. <laughs> Are you? Yes. I'm tired too. I haven't been getting sleep. I, I, uh, I kind of half sprained my ankle yesterday. I stepped on an acorn and rolled it. Where? It's not a joke. Oh, I just, I was, <laughs> I'm waiting for the punchline. I no, was running the, the, the other day. The punchline is I had to put ice and hemp cream on it last night. Hemp cream? Yeah. Don't you use hemp cream? I, no. What do it's you like do? It's like rubbing that? weed on your body. But if it sounds it's, sexy, right? But does it have not. THC in it, or no? It does not. So it why is it CBD? Oh. Supposedly works. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people were excited. Really, it doesn't work. It doesn't. It's more of I a. Mean, it still hurt. I went running this morning anyway on it because I'm a fucking compulsive maniac. You know, this is because I'm addicted to everything. <laughs> so, so I have to run every day or else it comes out in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. We, we the, you're going to do ultra marathons. I can't. My like, body is too broken. Did, now, did you hear uh, John Joseph was on Dopey after you ran into him? In the <laughs> I, I did. I didn't listen to the interview yet yeah. because I've heard him like 10 times. I assume it's mo- mostly the same. And yeah. I just spent four fucking hours with him. On the streets of New York. I can't believe that. Uh, at the end of that tour, I'm like, all of us, me and my wife, were and my exhausted. kids, we're looking at each other like, that's enough, John Jones. <laughs> but he's he's the kind of guy that's like, I couldn't just be like, okay, we're going to drop out of the tour now. Bye. You know, because I'm afraid he'd kick my ass yeah, or something. Where the fuck are you going? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> where do you think you're going? Right. So so we were there to the bitter end, and it was supposed to end at 6, but it went until 7. He's like, he's not done. whole no. extra hour. Because he had to... Go to uh, Max's, Kansas City, to finish the tour there. Oh, who are they playing? Is it the Cro-Mags on tour, or is he playing with no, somebody else? No, no, else? He was taking us to all the old punk spots Oh, in so New the York tour City. is on a tour. The tour is, you walk around with John Joseph on the Lower East Side, and he's like, yeah, that's what I fucked up that guy <laughs> over there. And then the ha- Angels came over and kicked the Jamaicans out. You know, oh it's like, one of those, it was actually really great. I mean, I if, if you guys could ever... <laughs> find that he, he the, the one i went on was the last one for this year but next year he's gonna do a whole bunch go take that tour john joseph is fucking good people and it's a crazy motherfucking tour and he's a crazy motherfucker so yeah so i mean if you want to hear this crazy guy you can hear him on the latest dopey yeah it's it's, it's a real blood and guts like dave was asking me when i listened to him, he goes what should i put in the title like we're always trying to come up with shocking titles to, for for dopey <laughs> And I'm like, there's so much in this that you could put like PCP murders, you know, like (laughs) blood, (laughs) dismember. It's like everything. So if you're looking for some blood and guts, you know, uh, he's got it. He definitely has it. He's um, spends a lot of time talking about the music scene. I I wanted to hear more about his um, his triathlons and the the vegan stuff and the you know how he's um, he's yeah. a Harry Krishna monk for a bunch. Does of he years. look like he's in f- fantastic shape? I, I mean, mean f- he's like sixty something years old, and so he's still doing these. Yeah, like he's doing full Ironman. Jesus triathlon. So there must be something to that vegan diet, you know. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you. I think we do. Today on RMA, it's the return to the Munsterverse. We travel deep 
and far and wide into the cosmos of monsters. And we're bringing to you Zed from the Monsterverse is going to yes. come on and tell his story. Z-Dad. Um, we're going to have a lot of open questions like, tell us all about yourself. And well, then we're just going to shut up. I, I chat GPT. Yeah. I asked it to, I said, when are, uh, anyway, it's, I got questions. You, we got questions. He's got answers. Um, and uh, very excited. He's been pretty, pretty very, I should say, active on the uh, Patreon for Recovery in the Middle Ages. And yes. uh, he's been uh, just contributing a lot to the uh, to the group, and uh, we're getting to know him. And we thought you'd want to get to know him. He's itching to talk about his story. Yes. Uh, so we're happy to hear it. That'll be exciting. I always like hearing from people in the Monsterverse. Yeah, so go to uh, patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages to join uh, the Patreon group. And, um, you know, tell your story. Recover with us. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Nobody should else? recover alone. No, never. No. Cover alone. I um, I am. I got stuff to talk about that we we did. Is this is this for this show? No. Oh, one twenty two. Oh, I've got the last show's notes. <laughs> That's helpful. Sorry, this is it's like that nightmare I have about college, or when I wake up with the wrong notes and I'm naked and oily. <laughs> you went to dream. a more interesting college than I did. Not clearly. that dream again. Um, so we've got, uh, yeah, meet yeah, the monsters. So in three minutes. I mean, you know what? Let's do this. We just I'm going to start the, the Zoom part of the meeting because I don't know about this tech. I put a new camera up and... Uh, yeah, this is kind of a fun one. Uh, that's German computer audio. Wait, where's the... Zed. Let's see. Maybe he's... I was going to say, he looks like you, but no, that's that just me. you. That's my picture on Zoom. It's a terrible picture. Uh, let's start the video and see if that works. Okay. Yes. It does kind of oh, work. Oh, look, I didn't even mean to wear a gay scarf. <laughs> my brother, I can hear my brother in the distance making fun of the scarf. Um, now let me just move that camera back a little. See, I don't know if we're going to release this video. That's up to, to Zed. But. And try not to look down here. Although Zed's going to be there, so you have to look down there. God damn it. Mm. No, there's a way to do this. What? Maybe the way is like... Oh. If I look up. Yeah. Riveting radio. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So let's see. We got th three minutes. How you been? <laughs> oh, been great. Um, big Halloween party this weekend. Big drunk fest. Coming up? Uh, no, I just went oh. to it. Uh, and I have uh, reams of papers and notes from this party. But um, I'll give you the 30-second quick one. Uh, my wife and I dressed up like lumberjacks. This was her. She's very okay. interested in Halloween. Like, All right. She's really into it. And uh, so we got these lumberjack outfits. I had the black suspenders, red plaid, and she did the same. And we got these plastic axes. Mm -hmm. Noah was a Santa Claus <laughs> oh. for some reason. Like this a psychotic one? or Just normal 12-year-old, okay. you know, Santa. And Max dressed up like a pickle. And it was hilarious, but it was this six-hour long. in progress. It was a six-hour long, um, you know, fun time outside with uh, Max's friends and and their parents, but it was actually a lot of fun. Is um, there a lot of drinking going on? Yeah, it was. It was some drinking going on, and I won't name any names. But uh, needless to say, by the uh, sixth hour, uh, they were dropping like flies. And uh, six we, hours yeah. hanging out at a Halloween party with people who are drinking. Uh, You're a better I mean, man than I am. It starts early, you know. It was like five o'clock, and then you know. But everybody had fun. Nobody got hurt. Um, thankfully, I was there to drive home. Okay. And the kids had a blast. I love that story, and I want to elaborate on these stories because I have a story of my own for this weekend yep. that was kind of crazy. But and first off, let us admit 
Admit one. I'm going to admit Where's Zed to the Zoom. But you you need the music. What music? Isn't there a Meet the Monsters jingle that no. Kyle did? But where is he anyway? Hmm. Let's see. Maybe he's... Oh, connecting. Things are being connected. Right, so I look at the camera. So you look at the camera, but if you look at the camera, then you're not making eye contact with Zed. Mm. So it's so a I look mixed like this. bag. How about one of us will look at the camera, and the other one will look at Zed. Okay, let's both look at Zed. Ready? Okay, there he is. Zed! What's up, man? Hey, guys. How are you? What's going on? Hey, welcome. Good, how are you all? Good. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages. Yes. Meet the Monster Sorry, segment. <laughs> strong-armed my way into the show, guys. No, it's cool. Yeah, we'd love to meet you guys. And, uh, you know, we were talking on uh, the Inner Sanctum and... Oh, here's the music. It's sort of an elaborate monster speak. I don't think Zed can hear that on his end. I can. You could, can. like, like mm-hmm. loud and clear, or did it sound... Yeah, it's only when you're calling what? in from, like, your house you can't hear shit. Yeah, because I can't even hear the... Anyway. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to go to Zed's house to do the next one. <laughs> no, I'm in the office right now. I'm at work. Ugh. You can go to Zed's office to do it. <laughs> so, where are you in the country? Like, tell us about yourself. Um... Well, I'm in Virginia, okay. uh, in the Shenandoah Valley, um, and I work at a community services board, Valley Community Services Board. So essentially what I do there is I'm a peer specialist. So um, essentially what that means is I'm an addict in recovery, and I kind of work alongside the clinical staff to help provide that, you know, real-world experience to show the clients that, you know, recovery is possible because, as we all know, it's can seem pretty hopeless, so it makes all the difference. Wow, so you're uh, an actual professional. You're you're an yeah, actual well. professional in the field, <laughs> someone who's really working in it, you know. And uh, That's, that's amazing. Really, yeah. I'm, I'm always impressed when I meet somebody yeah. working in the field because we don't work in the I field. Know. You know, <laughs> I'm always like, just, I want your order. You just shovel shit Give us week. the real stuff, yeah. I'm shoveling shit. I just work um, a polo shirt to do it. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> So how did you how did you come across this podcast? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and what drew you um, to it? Thank, thank you, ChatGPT. How GPT. did you find this? Thank you, ChatGPT, for this list of questions. Yes. Um, you know, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I was just looking for recovery podcasts, um, just doing a random search, and I think it was actually it was on Facebook. Mm. I saw I saw an ad, and I was like, "Well, let me check this out." And I started listening to the podcast, and I've been listening ever since. Listening oh. to every single episode. And wow. Cool. Yeah, always really liked. Yep. That's called listener retention. One. Yes, we, we got yeah. you. That's so cool because that's yeah. about when we got into the show too. <laughs> we, Surprisingly, yeah, we got into it at the same time. But, that's awesome. But you know, Nat sitting there like a like a little, uh, little um, I don't know, like the great and terrible Oz. In your in your sports store oh, yeah. there, like trying to figure out how yeah. to SEO the the show I to get it out. You yeah, know? it shows oh. it worked. Yeah. I mean, I've been living through the pandemic with you guys. You guys have always been telling your side of things. So, oh, that must be interesting. You, you've seen like the rise and the falls and the yeah, yeah. That's really cool. And so, your sports store and you know, Mike, your kid going to Catholic school and yeah, yeah. the ups and downs of fatherhood. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. See that people do listen. People listen. I told so you, it never ceases to amaze me. Um, no, well, I, what about how? Okay, so you're in. Re, working in recovery in a, mm-hmm. and isn't it like an outpatient uh, yeah. facility? Mm-hmm. All right. So, so outpatient. Uh, yeah. So I, sorry, I do groups um, and stuff like that. And I meet with clients, but actually more specifically, uh, I work with the clients that are on medication assisted treatment. Oh. So I'm a peer for the clients that are on Suboxone and Vivitrol and, 
and things like that. So that's the um, the population that I work with. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Um, do you have some experience with that personally? Um, no, I mean, I'm 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 sure in my in my days I've probably took opiates, but no, I mean, um, and that's the thing, right? So um, I'm not a heroin addict. I've mm-hmm. I've never been addicted to opiates, but I do know what it's like to risk your entire life for you know for a substance. And so that's what I kind of tell the clients um, that I work with. So I try to focus on the similarities and not the differences. Mm. Um, just to let you guys know, I know you guys are not 12-step guys. I'm a 12-step guy all in. And so a lot of that will come out in my language. Oh, great. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's sort of the lingua franca of recovery anyway. So. I'm yes, always defending 12 steps against this guy. Not yeah. always. Because well. I went through this. Zed, I was like... When you're telling me about you know where you are working and all of that stuff, I have flashbacks to I was I spent a lot of time in a few different outpatients, so I know that those meetings can be really helpful, and uh, not not just the meetings at um, you know at the outpatients where they would it was interesting because in New York the outpatient places and rehabs I was at they were tw- twelve step based, but when you were in the group meetings, the professional like uh, group leader or the, uh, the facilitator would always tamp down a little bit of the 12 step. Like, you know, when the people in the group would start talking, uh, AA stuff, usually the professional, I, I noticed that they would, you know, kind of tap, tamp it down a bit and move it towards a different thing. I wonder why would they do that? They're not supposed to. And, uh, you know, it's, it was interesting. I thought, yeah, well, I don't know what kind of questions you guys want to ask but you know i'm nervous because it's fine i made it i'm here yeah you know oh we're just talking yeah we don't even worry i know i I always get wound up before these things start too you know quote the big book chapter and verse it's it's great like i love it i don't know that (laughs) and so just to bounce around like i get that whole 12-step model um but you know i don't know i wrote a story in way before that when i um won that audio book um oh was that the Joseph uh, Naus? Yeah. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, I just, it was amazing. But anyway, yeah. I was a little long-winded, but, you know, <laughs> just thought you, I am a smart recovery facilitator. Oh, cool. So I've been facilitating smart recovery for like four or five years. And so, but also, I also do a smart recovery family and friends. And so what that is, is it's basically a smart recovery's version of a family support group. So mm. if you think of like, it's uh, the Smart Recovery's Al-Anon or Narcan. Oh, right. cool. So, right. huh. um, and I do both of those groups. And so I'm constantly preaching, you know, alternative paths to recovery. Um, and Mike, you know, your your opinion on your on 12 steps, I never thought you'd bash it at all. You know, it's just that it's kind of shoved down everybody's throats because when you talk about mutual aid support groups, especially within the recovery field, the 12 step fellowships. Um, and I'm going to try to just say 12 steps, mm-hmm. but it might slip out, um, because there's a 12 step meeting for everything. Sure. Um, but that's the model, you know, that's the model. Uh, the, the 12 steps were created in the thirties by Dr. Bob. Um, and they haven't changed much, you know? Um, and I think smart recovery based on, you know, Mike, as you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, I think it's an ever evolving thing. Um, but I tend to highlight clients like, um, something it it doesn't matter what it is you know i haven't known anybody in recovery that hasn't had some sort of support um yeah, so that's what i sure. whatever you're whether it's you know harm reduction i've got clients that do that like everything 
and within that, I've kind of had to overcome what I believe mm. is my personal because harm reduction for me, it's like some clients say, you know, well, Zed, if I if I still drink, am I clean? And I was like, well, it's like setting me a trap. Yeah. But I said, yeah. for, for me, I, I couldn't do it because for me, there's never just one once in a while. You know, it's just it's just not possible. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, as, sure. as someone who facilitates both smart recovery and um, you know, traditional 12-step meetings, mm-hmm. like how does that cognitive dissonance work? Because on the one hand, the smart recovery, it's like the power is all within you. And on the other hand, it's mm-hmm. powerlessness and you have to, um, you know, work with that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, is, is that a challenge to pop back and forth between those two, two viewpoints? I bet you make it work. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure so, you do. But right? also is I do facilitate a 12 step meeting every, every Saturday. Mm -hmm. So I'm wearing the two hats. And so, I don't know. I think one of the, one of the people that I used to work with, um, he had trouble with the idea of powerlessness. And so I get that's kind of off putting. And so what I kind of tell people is, you know, I kind of reframe it, right? Because I've got all these different schools of thought. And so what I do is I just try to mold them, into what I believe, you know, I have no problem admitting that I'm powerless. However, I can understand some people do because it's a scary thing not to be in control. And so I put it like this for me, um, you know, I have the power until I decide to put the first one in me. I have that power. I am Mm -hmm. not powerless until I ingest, uh, the first substance. Mm. And then at that point, you don't even have to say you're powerless. Once I start, I can't stop. So I stay stopped you know no yeah. i like that um, i really like that yeah um you know do you do you deal with all uh men or women and men also because yeah because mm-hmm. i think some i think you know from what i've been reading on some of these facebook groups that i i pop in and out of like women have a real issue with the powerlessness stuff because it's you know it's it's much more you like much they were more social stuff powerless. around that right yeah. and they feel like anything else that makes them give up their power especially you know in a situation like uh, an aa where there's there's not a lot of safeguards for for personal safety for women and so forth mm-hmm. like um you know i think that's that's a sticking point well that's why they uh, have the women's them. meetings i think but the fact right. that that's a that's a great idea but still yeah i mean it's a great question you know um i think we were listening to that podcast we were talking about on the group um uh, the 13th step yeah and yep. um, it was interesting to hear it from, and I'd never thought about it this way. Uh, the uh, the host was a woman, and the, she was commenting that the problem she had, and they had started their own like twelve step from a woman's perspective. She made her own book. She said because it was written, like you said, in the thirties, it was sort of meant to be uh, for you know white men, basically white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, and there was a certain patriarchal culture kind of baked into that whole scenario, which, you know, didn't evolve. It's trying to evolve, but the original text is still being, you know, really leaned on. And so a lot of women are uncomfortable with that. I mean, why do you think we, AA won't, you know, produce sort of an updated text of some kind? I mean, it's not the Bible. I mean, maybe there should be. I heard some scuttlebutt that then, I guess they have these meetings every year with big. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone gets together. They've been contemplating updating some things but yeah. it never really made it out of the working group into into practice yeah and so. she didn't like how she was told that you know oh i know it has that kind of language but you know just turn it in your mind into something else or think of something else i mean i think you know she was saying that makes a lot of women uncomfortable i mean what do you do you see a lot of that in the uh, 12-step groups 
Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's different. I think, you know, um, for whatever reason, I know, I think just last episode, you guys were talking about, you know, the, the idea of trauma, um, you know, and I feel like that a lot of the female clients I work with, some have have trauma and a lot of them have trauma that's related to men in the past right. being the only peer in my program it has been an obstacle yeah because they don't want to give up a power again to like correct. a man uh, that's you know ahead of them or correct controlling them. well and i think that's sorry to interrupt so that's, i think that's what's um about the peer like it's not me over you i'm mm-hmm. not a clinician so i'm i'm right here right and so I'm when I'm working with female clients and, you know, I can review their charts and I try to. So I have some idea going into it. Now, I have a caseload of clients that I meet with. Um, and so, you know, but right now I don't. It's the whole the whole billing Michigas and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, Bureaucracy. Yeah. 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 And so essentially. Uh, whenever I meet with a client, right now I'm just meeting with clients one on one without the bureaucracy or the um, or the uh, <clears throat> or the red tape, so to speak. And so, essentially, not to be long winded, but when I meet with female clients, I like to be aware if there is any trauma background. Mm. Um, I like just, I mean, yeah. And so I'll talk to like their case manager or I'll read up on their file, and I just try to be mindful. Mm. Um, but but it is it is it is a thought. Um, you know, in this day and age, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm protected and that they are. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, and so that, and if, a, if somebody is not, if a female is not comfortable working with me as a male, I'm like, okay, there's, there's these other female that you could talk to. Right. And so essentially I just want to come off as, as, as non-threatening and are really a supportive because even if you have women that have a trauma history i think it is i mean these women that have trauma that is related to male relationships um they're gonna have to have they're gonna be interacting with men for the rest of their lives well yeah yeah and so what i try to do is i try to you know show that some some guys are okay you know and i try to i try to meet them where they're at and for some that works and for some that's not but that's definitely an obstacle yeah, um, I think I it's. With, I yeah. think it's hard, like, when you're dealing with quitting a substance and sort of rearranging all that stuff in your head, like to also have to deal with the with the male relationship stuff, like that's that's a tall order. I I wonder, like, just from a theoretical perspective, like how many if women are more suited to some a, a more grounded CBT type of um, approach to recovery rather than rather than a. a 12 step sort of thing, but that's for another well, that's, day. I'm sure what you're finding is it's different for everyone and everywhere. And it yeah. reminds me anytime I have these discussions about different AA groups and different, you know, uh, sober, uh, smart sobriety and all that, it reminds me of church. And I know I sometimes bring everything back to church, but like, I'm always trying to like when people, I listen to people's criticisms about, you know, if I say, Oh, I go to church, they have all of these built in, uh, sort of, you know, prejudices about it. And, but what I've found going to different churches and studying different religions and practicing my own, that really there's more that unites people who are trying to come together, make themselves better. Like most of us just want to do good things, you know, and want to help other people. And, you know, the brand that you're doing it under doesn't always matter so much. To, I mean, I think for the most part, sometimes, you know, so like it what does. I found too, and you probably see this as 
you know, playing both sides, your, you know, smart recovery and then your 12 step. And so you have your beliefs, uh, you know, that you came in with, but then you're seeing how certain things work. You know, you're watching medication assisted treatment work and you're probably coming a lot closer to the truth than someone who just stays in one lane all the time because you're seeing all of the things that work together. And I think that's really yeah. uh, powerful. When you mean truth matter, you talk about just like the different pathways. Yeah. So like if you study, okay. mm -hmm. you know, each side of it, you know, people say there's, there's three sides to every story, you know, Mike's side, my side and the truth. So it's kind of in that, you know, when you look at something from many different perspectives, you see the, the three dimensional picture, I think a little better. Uh, it's deep. Aha. Uh -huh. yeah. You yeah, see that? That's go. an analogy. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. I brought it home. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. I'm just going to leave. I'm, I'm leaving good on that. Thank you. Uh, so Wait, this George. is this is great. A little uh, thirty thousand view. Can we uh, yeah. can we circle back? All right, yeah. Go back to, to get the, to know you so, a little. Yeah, bit? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's get to know Zed. Uh, okay. You know, maybe tell sure. us a little bit sorry about, about yourself. Where you grew up? I'm going to put on my Paul Churchill hat. Okay. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Do you have a family? Where did you grow I'll up? I'll just turn off the live? mic, Freddie. You know. All right. Well, a long time ago. No. Um. So start wherever you want. Yes. In the galaxy okay. far away. Um. Yeah, that's right. So. Okay, first of all, um, I come from a very well-to-do family. Um, my dad was a doc, is a clinical psychologist. My mom is a nurse. You know, I grew up in the suburbs. Mm. And, and that's right. And so people would look at my life and say, oh, you didn't struggle. Um, and some of the clients that I work with, you know, can tell that. And so I try to tell them, like, you don't know me. Like, just because everything on the surface looks okay, it doesn't mean that. And so essentially... Um, I had a lot of behavioral problems, some some severe severe uh, ADD and um, you know so major anxiety disorder. And so what I'm saying is, I always grew up feeling different. Um, you know, I was always felt isolated. Uh, I never felt like I uh, belonged. I was bullied relentlessly. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was a little six year old or a little kid and not feeling like I belonged everywhere and everybody would be, uh, you know, making friends and I would be on the sidelines because I was just so nervous. And so as I grew up, I just kind of felt more awkward. Um, and you know, my parents, I bounced around from, you know, school to school to school because it was never a good fit. And my parents were at a loss as to what to do with me. Um, because I was just so difficult to deal with. And, you know, they, they, did the best that they could. And there's some, some trauma there that I'll touch on in a little bit. But anyway, I, that's it. I never felt like I belonged as I grew up. I just felt more and more awkward. And so I would isolate and I just, just didn't know who I was. And so as I grew up, um, things got better. I just got more comfortable, you know, feeling uncomfortable, so to speak. Um, and as I grew up and it, you know, as I went to, you know, I think in seventh grade is when I got back into the public school system. Before that, I was in different specialty schools for, for kids with, with certain disabilities and stuff like disabilities back then, I think now use challenges. Right. Um, so I was fine. And then I fell into my own and then middle school was great. And then I got into high school. Uh, and then, yeah. And then I started to relate more to others, but there was always this deep feeling that I don't really belong. And mm. I've always had anxiety. And so you can imagine as a young kid, you know, I'm being bullied. And so I was being bullied and call all these names like you know, stupid and fat and ugly. And I just internalized all of them because I was already thinking in my head. So essentially they were just confirming right. what I was already thinking of myself. Yeah. 
So as you could imagine, walking around as a small child carrying all that weight, it was just, it destroyed me. And so as I got older, I fell into my own and then I got into uh, theater in high school and I kind of found my my niche. And so I started to hang out. That's right. Yeah, yes, another theater kid. To, <laughs> yeah, and I started to hang out with the theater kids and I really started to come into my own. And so I had my little group, but still I didn't fit in. You know, I felt isolated even though I was on a... Um, you know, just surrounded by people. And just to paint an example, like I could be on a stage reciting a Shakespearean monologue half naked in front of hundreds of people, but I couldn't talk to a girl or, you know, mm, ask yeah. her out. So there was just, just things. And so that was fine. And then I was struggling that I made it through high school, um, which is fine. And then Did you start you know, uh, drinking time, or anything or using, yeah. uh, in, in you stayed school? sober no. in high school. For the majority, yes, there may have been a drink here or there, and nice. the people in the theater department were like, "Hey, you know, let's let's go smoke some pot, let's get high, and stuff like that." And says, "No, no, I'm going to wait until I graduate." Wow! So it was pre-planned. <laughs> You're like when I graduate, I'm going yeah. for it. And boy, did I went for it! Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I graduated high school, and and I know I'm young. I graduated high school in 2004. Oh wow! Um, and I think that summer. Uh, you know, I got I got high for the first time. And so mm -hmm. unlike all my other friends, I went to a community college first. Um, yeah, my wife did that. I, yeah. And I think I, I, I remember the first couple times. I mean, I started off with, you know, pot and alcohol like so many others. And so the first time I a couple times I smoked pot, I didn't get high. But the first time I will never forget the first time I was in my apartment and I can look back on them now and smile because I did have fun. Some of it was fun. As sure. you all know. I mean, I wouldn't ruin my life right. for something that. So I remember like it was this big, huge thing, like Jimi Hendrix was playing on the vinyl and I just melted into the floor. Mm. And at that point <laughs> on, like I was, I was all in. It was like, you want to be there forever. Was... Like I never right. want to feel different. Now was that, was that, right. was that weed or alcohol yeah. or psychedelics? It was, it, it was weed. Okay. It was just, it was just weed. Just really good um, weed. Because the good weed yeah, started well, coming I'm, around back then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to me, it, it probably, I don't know what it was, but it was the first time I smoked it. And I remember that feeling. I was just like, I gotta, I, I want to feel this again, because it was, you know, it, it like unlocked insecurities, doubts, anxiety. It just all went away. And I felt like this is, this is the answer yeah. to the question, mm. you know, um, and so beginning, it was just, you know, I would use on the on the weekends and my buddy, he went to, well, he was my buddy then, he went to a college and he would bring it down with him and it was fine. And then when I started using on my own is, is, is when it got really dark and it got dark quick. Um, it started off uh, as a social thing because I could be around people, you know, I could talk to girls, I can make friends, um, you know, and I always had something, you know, I, I really I adopted the kind of um, stoner mentality because mm. that was then the identity that I had because right. it already put put me in with all these other people because with hey you want to go and yeah it's a whole culture know. it's like a belonging I remember that yeah <laughs> is, that, is that where it you is. is that where you encountered the Grateful Dead well actually <laughs> my dad he actually went to Woodstock oh um, wow. right and so he still has his ticket stub oh, um, and so actually the first CD I bought Mike was uh, was American Beauty mm -hmm. Box of Rain sure um, yeah. And so I, I was a deadhead long before I started to, uh, you know, to smoke pot. Huh. Um, yeah, I guess I was too. I listened to the dead a lot in high school before I ever had mm -hmm. a substance. My roommate in high school used to listen to the dead, and I always marveled at how many friends he had. 
Like, <laughs> that was the number one thing I was amazed by. I'm like, wow, there's so many of them. Like, I wish I could well, do that. It's, it's sort of like AA in a way. Yeah. It's like it's an instant it's community, that <laughs> support just, group, except it supports you in other ways. They know? sold me acid, yeah. but uh, I never hung out with them. <laughs> Not by choice. I thought they looked cool. But yeah, it's a, it's a whole culture that you can be enmeshed in and just identify with that revolves yeah. around yeah. drugs. Right. And so, uh, like I said, I was theater and that's, you know, everybody, everybody at the community college smoked pot, but everybody in theater did. And so it was <laughs> automatically, uh, it gave me an in, you know, I had a group of people that I fed in with. Um, and then as long as you have, you know, weed or drugs and you say, Hey, come get high with me, people and hang out with you. And so that that's what I would do. Um, but then very quickly, it turned very dark when I started to, you know, use by myself. Mm. Um, because when I use by myself, I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. I don't have to share my shit with anybody. I don't have to leave the, so, the house. Yeah. Right? And so I didn't, and it became, it became bad really quick. Um, and I think maybe when I started, it was less than a year, uh, when I was just, it was every day, all day, all the time I had to have it. Um, and I think, and so yeah, that, and I was drinking and, and, you know, I was a chain smoker and I think sometime around that you know i started to to dabble in other stuff um and you know pills and stuff like that but i think the first thing that i really remember doing was 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 mushrooms and that was just oh yeah yeah and so i i didn't really like them it didn't stop me from doing them and so you know uh the pot and the alcohol were a constant and then hallucinogenics and then it just kind of you know kind of evolved one of those mentality of, Oh, I'm never going to do this. I ended up doing it. Um, you know, and I think after that, uh, it was just various other drugs. I mean, I'm not going to list them all. <laughs> um, but, it, and so, yeah, that's it. So it started off with pot and alcohol. And then when that was, I mean, it was still working, but I wanted to add more and more to the mix because when you're hanging out with people and Hey, you know, smoke this, sniff this, you know what I mean? Uh, drop this tab. So yeah, because I just wanted to fit in. And so, yeah, I mean, I liked the feeling all those different substances did. And so I would basically do anything that was, you know, put in front of me. However, the crowd that I ran with, I think the hardest thing I came across would be, would be cocaine. Mm. Um, I stared clear of opiates. I mean, maybe I popped or pill or two, but that's it. Yeah. Uh, no, no meth. And so the people I hang out with, it was essentially pot, alcohol, hallucinogenics and cocaine. Yeah. Thank God, meth. I, I think about that sometimes. Thank God. None of my dealers or friends, there wasn't meth. Like I was, believe it or not, I was not in the gay community in New York city, but that was about the only place that I would hear about it back Back in the day, we didn't have it going around. We used to call it Tina. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's Tina what they the call it for meth in uh, New York City. Well, yeah. somebody knows what it's called. Well, I used to go to this gay bar called the Cock with. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's I right. had a friend in law school who had a lot of gay friends, so I, you know, the those truth guys comes were always out. up for a party. So I'd be like, sure, I'll go to the gay bar. Why not? The yeah. truth comes out. You heard it here. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I was sort of a novelty, the straight guy at the Cock. You know? It, it yeah, is, you know, it's amazing. The thing, the thing about. Um, using a lot of weed and mushrooms by yourself is it leads to some really fucked up thinking. Like, mm. you know, if, <laughs> especially <laughs> shrooms, man. you tend to get into these spirals and, you know, cause people are always saying like, you know, um, cause now there's this big push to, you know, legalize, um, shrooms there and is? other psychedelics. That would be amazing. It would be yeah, so yeah. Or, funny. Or, people or would be like, Oregon just, just started opening like shroom dispensaries. No shit. Yeah. But, um, amazing. 
people are like, oh, you can't get addicted to, to psychedelics because, you know, take them a few times and then that's it. But mm-hmm. I'm I was like, addicted. that's not true. Like, if it was there, I was going to take yeah. it. I, I took acid like every weekend Me for too. months. Like, it was, uh, it so was I, definitely addictive. And you just want to keep going back to that. That's the way I right. thought about it. I'm like, yeah. I want to go back there I, you I like know, the every la- week. Weird fantasy land. And yeah. The, you know, except when it starts turning dark. I mean, like, yeah. I, put, I put down psychedelics well before anything else because I wasn't having a good time anymore. Now, it was getting dark and I was like starting to think too yeah, much. I'm with you. You know, and, but you know, my peer group still taking a lot. So I would even in like their seventies, what in their seventies, they're still taking fifties. I mean, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, no, we're, I mean, I have friends from that era that are still wow. daily pot smokers today. Well, I mean, so wow. That's, you know, they, somehow they, are still like lawyers and shit. I don't know. I could, there's, there's people that can do that kind of thing and then yeah. function. God bless. And him. then people that can't. And I was never the one that could like the minute I started getting into that shit in college, that was it for yeah. school for me. I was done. Yeah, me too. That's why it took me 22 years to graduate. Um, so, speaking of graduating, look at that segue. Did it stop you from graduating? I mean, he's in college. He's partying. Okay. Yeah. Like how yeah. did this affect your project? Uh, Progesterone. Your professional. Your progesterone. No, your professional. <laughs> yes. how, how was your? How are your hormones? Today? I can say professional trajectory. How did it affect that thing? I can't say again. Well, I mean, um, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. So I graduated from the community college, um, you know, barely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and so I then after I did about a year there, I transferred to a, a college, a small liberal oh, uh, liberal arts college in Lynchburg, Virginia. It was uh, it is Lynchburg University now, but it's it was Lynchburg College. You mm-hmm. know, they think they can change the name, and all of a sudden, it's a better school. <laughs> Charge more that yeah. way, right? You know, a turd painted gold, so turd. Um, <laughs> Words to but so, so I went there and I relied on my stoner mentality and it just, I was just in my dorm room getting high all the time. Like I was miserable. I gained like over a hundred pounds and I just started hanging out with people um, that I thought were my friends, but they only hung out with me because I was, you know, because I had drugs, mm. um, but I was still in theater. Um, so that's fine. So that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, but, you know, getting getting high all the times so it was it was it was hard to remember my lines yeah stone out of my gourd on stage <laughs> yeah i couldn't but, get um, high and, and perform that was hard yeah but so and so that and then you know i i started selling drugs because i needed to pay off a debt and you know it was it was hard am i i was i was my own best customer right <laughs> What yeah. were you selling? Like so, just weed and shrooms? Yeah, weed. No, yeah. no, no, no. Just, no shrooms, just, just weed. It's like a monkey no, no, no. selling bananas. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and so, you know, a little joke. You know you got a drug problem when you sell weed to yourself and you call yourself up threatening, hey, you owe me money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Because, you know, and think, I could have made a lot of money. But, you know, back then, I think by myself, I was probably putting away like an ounce a week. Man. Just myself. Or five days, you know. Wow. Um, and so, and that's it. And that's what I would do. And then I got miserable. And then I actually, um, I, like I said, I started selling to, to pay off a debt. And so I think my parents had no, my, by the way, my parents are very involved, um, you know, but they knew that I was getting high and they didn't care. You know, I did it at the helm. I could go and come as I please. Wow. Oh, well, your dad you went know. to Woodstock, right? That's I mean, true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. But it's the thing, like, 
guys, you know, so my uh, all the money that I would make, um, it would just my dad would pay for every. I have no student debt. My dad paid for college. If yeah. I told the guard he'd buy me a new car, so all the money that I made with jobs I was working with drugs. Well, just that's all I would spend my money on. Even in college, my dad paid for everything, and so I just any money I had went to drugs, and then that still wasn't enough. Did Did you say um, he was a psychologist, your father? Yeah, clinic, clinical clinical psychologist. Psych so he's mm-hmm. probably watching you and kind of is he studying the whole thing, kind of figuring out what's going on there, right? <laughs> your case study. Well, no, I mean, and, and it's it's difficult to say because they did. You know, you can have all that knowledge in the world, but when it's your own kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, hard. Absolutely. Um, and so I think they just didn't know what to do. And so they just kind of let me do whatever I want. Um, and they were always with me. And then, you know, I think it was when it was two, 2006, it was when I was 20, I started to, you know, to sell pot. And then uh, my parents knew something was up because I was, you know, I was a mess, an absolute mess. Um, but, you know, my family is very supportive and throughout my, you know, escapades and you know selling drugs i you know my sister god bless her heart she was she knew what i was doing she was right there i was you know basically told her what i was doing um and it wrecked her mm. uh because i mean she didn't know what her brother was going to get into yeah. you know because throughout my i was you know rubbing el- uh, elbows with some people and could be quite dangerous and on mm. this you know suburban deadhead you know not knowing what i'm doing hey look at this you know i got this and yeah. then <laughs> It was it was horrible. And so, you know, I got robbed several times, um, you know, but and so essentially my dad found out that I was that I was dealing. So he knew you were using, but he didn't. And he was kind of like, oh, let's see how this plays out. He doesn't look too bad. But that's dealing he didn't know about. I mean, I don't have a job, and yet he found an envelope of eight hundred dollars in my room. (laughs) Either you're stripping or. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so he found that and it was the day after my 21st birthday. And so he he lost it. And then basically he said, How much do you owe? And I was like, I like twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, here's a check. Mm. And mm. that was it. And then I was clear of my debt. Um did you uh, sign right that over to, to the dealer? Pay to the order Yes. Of... <laughs> no, no. My dad literally handed me a check of like fifteen hundred bucks and wow. I cashed it and I didn't cash it and spend it. I actually went to my guy and say, here here's that yeah i've been um, there and then that was it and then i just went back to right doing what i was doing um and it was still it was still dark but i think around that time like and so it was i so the first half of my uh first year of college it was miserable and then once the cat was out of the bag and my debts are paid off and I just stopped selling drugs and just kept doing them, it was, it was okay. And so I managed to get through college, uh, but it was, guys, it was, it was miserable. I mean, the degradation and the yeah. lows that I went to, it was just, it was, it was horrible. And, you know, I, I was still in theater, you know, and so I did the whole theater <laughs> thing. I was, I was in plays and I had, you know, I would party with the theater people and then they're great though, aren't so, they? <laughs> well, some of them. Yes. Yeah, um, some of them. Hey Zed, before you go right. on, I have, I don't want to forget this. <clears throat> when you mentioned, um, because I've been struggling with this a little bit, like, do you think, because I had a similar, um, relationship with my parents to you and I would always wonder, I wonder if, if my dad or both my parents had cut me off at some point, like you hear about this in recovery a lot, yes. like, detach with love, just cut them off. 
Like, do you really think, uh, and there's some debate about whether or not that's like the right thing to do. Do you think like in your case, your dad should have at some point been like, no, you're yes, on your own. I do. And you I think wish, that would have helped? I mean, I got no consequences at all for anything. Right? And I wonder what my path would have been like had yeah. they been like, if you either get yourself straight yeah. or we're done. Yeah, and, I think about that. Didn't. And so I kept doing what I was doing and I yeah. made it through college and it was just, you know, all I, I was in college to party. And you graduated? And yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, how come you were able to graduate, I but I, I couldn't fucking yeah, graduate. I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I graduated like oh, three took years me, took ago. Me a long time. Well, that's oh, amazing. God. Right. But then when I was in college, I, you know, I, I, I was continuing to experimenting with different, uh, different stuff. Um, you know, I still did, you know, I still did cocaine. And mm. I think at, at, at one point, I think the worst I ever got was, you know, I would, I guess you would call it free, free basing. Mm-hmm. Like somebody would like sprinkle some on some weed and stuff like that. And that was just, that was Ugh, what know, a waste of coke. Dark. Yeah, that's a know, waste right? of cocaine. Yeah. You got to put that shit in a glass pipe and yes. just burn it straight. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? My well, crack anyway, dealer I called it free base, sprinkling too. Sprinkling it on a joint. Ah, <laughs> ah. I was doing, you know, if, if something made me feel good, I just wanted to feel even better. Yep. So I would keep doing it. That free base. Um, and that was it. And then I would just make it through college and I graduated and I had a degree in theater and that was it. Like I had no idea what I wanted to do. Wait, can you sing, dance, and act? Are you a triple threat? I no, can't dance. I'm a, th- I'm a threat, but I'm, I can't, I can act, but I can't sing. And, no and singing. Dance. Okay. See, I always lamented that I couldn't dance. Cause if in theater, if you can do all three, it's your triple no. threat. That's how you, oh, but that's but, great. You know, I did. Yeah. I did a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So oh, cool. I was a whole into like building sets and things like that. Um, and so I graduated in 2009. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, up to, up to this point, and, did you have any, mm-hmm. um, had you ever considered stopping recovery? Were you in any sort of therapy? Did you ha- realize that you had some underlying trauma issues or depression or anything like that from the bullying? Or were you just kind of going balls to the mm. wall still at this point? Yeah, because your dad was a psychologist. So there yeah, might so have been. That, 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 so that vernacular was probably talked about at home, yeah. you know, in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. therapy and all this kind of stuff. I just wonder if any of that made it through. Because it wouldn't have it, to me at that age, mm-hmm. but maybe Well, it, it did. did, you know, and, and just kind of to I started on uh, psychiatric medication very young so I was, I was on Ritalin at eight and I think by the time I went to college I got put on Xanax when I was like 12. <laughs> From ah, the Ritalin. Uh, wow okay. Yeah, so, Ritalin's making you anxious. Takes right. It's a pill and for everything. Benzos can, yeah right yeah. you know and so I think often think back guys are like I, I wonder if um, you know that whole idea is that you know I need to take this pill to do better if mm. that kind of led into my substance abuse because mm-hmm. At an early age, like, hey, you know what? If you're gonna function, you gotta take this pill. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And so, you know, I've been in therapy and on medication my entire life. Uh, and I did go to the rooms. Um, I did, you know, I experimented with recovery. But back then, I went to a 12-step meeting to until my dealer got out of work, and then I would <laughs> go right back. Like, I had no interest in sobriety. I don't even care. Yeah. Um, that didn't even enter my mind. Hmm. Um, you know. And, and so that's it. And so then I graduated and I just, I, for some reason, I, you know, I was working in summer camps and I got this idea of that I wanted to be, you know, like a, a theater teacher. And so I worked in my old middle school as an, as a teaching aide and stuff like that. And so 
so yeah, and so at that point, I worked um, at after school programs, and then I started to realize that if I wanted, I couldn't just be a theater teacher because that's it's a very niche thing. So a lot of the theater teachers I knew also taught something else. Mm, mm. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be an elementary school teacher. I want to be a kindergarten teacher. And so I started taking classes um, for my master's of arts in teaching, um, you know, it, through Mary Baldwin mm. College. It was then Mary Baldwin University. And so I would take I would take those classes while I was living in Charlottesville. And so it was, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. And then and that's what I wanted to do. And the whole time, like throughout my getting my master's, I was, you know, getting high all the time and doing a bunch of shit and, and getting into just dead end relationships. Mm. Um, because back then, if you would give me the time of day, then all of a sudden I was, you know, I was madly in love. Yeah. So it led yeah, to a lot of, it's a, it's led a to a lot codependency of issues and stuff. Yeah. Right. Heartbreak for sure. Correct. And so, and, and that was it, you know, bad relationships and, and, you know, drugs. And then I think at a certain point I decided to move to, you know, Stanton, Virginia, uh, which is where Mary Baldwin is located. And I started to go to the masters of arts and teaching program. And, you know, and, you know, that's where I met my wife. Um, and so we met in one of our classes and we started dating. Um, and, you know, she, she, she knew I was using and I think her school of thought was that it's, I don't have a problem with it until it's a problem. It was always a problem. <laughs> she, she, she just didn't, didn't know it yet. At it. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, she knew it, but I think she was just. She, she wasn't was smoking with you or was no, she drinking? Just no. a little casual drinking. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and that's the difference between me and her. And that's the difference between, I mean, she was, she drank in college and stuff like that. And then, you know, at the end of the day, that was, that was it. She could just. Uh, go hard on the weekends and mm. to me the the weekend would never end right. um, and so it was it was miserable you know and I would just use all the time and then you know my wife often would like ask her friends hey do you want do you know where to get anything that's look because I was a I was a piece of piece of shit when I didn't have any and I was just mm. miserable mm. and you know you can you can say what you will about some people will say that weed's not addictive and anything like that. But when I didn't have it, I was, you weren't feeling so good. Yeah. I was horrible. Yeah. Um, and so I tried to make sure I always had it. And so, um, you know, after dating, you know, we truly fell in love. Like I knew that this is the woman I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And at some point during that, um, it just got out of control. And I think the, the, the match that kind of started the fire that kind of, you know, told me hey this shit's getting out of good when i was arrested for um uh let's see um excessive speed mm. um so essentially i was pulled over and arrested for driving 101 miles an Oof. hour on the interstate oh trying trying to get to my dealer's house before <laughs> you never work. made it oh that's the worst well, part I did. It was oh you just did. late oh <laughs> i was late <laughs> sorry sorry guy so you I, did you know, get there <laughs> right and so i was i was pulled over and that's just it blows my mind like it was it was gridlock traffic and here i am i can laugh at it now but i was like grand theft auto i was driving <laughs> in and out of the traffic <laughs> and all of a sudden the blue yeah. lights came on and i was like shit and so i pulled over i was like this is going to be another speeding ticket and then i kind of got the impression that this isn't going to be too good when another cop car pulled up behind me. Oh, you never want to see that second one. <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> and so I was like, and so he said, step out of the car. 
and you know he said you're under arrest and and stuff like that you know were you high at the time oh yeah no, I was always high. I'm and picturing like thing, Cheech like, and Chong movie where, you know, yeah. the cops Did, like, yeah. uh, window down. It's hey, like, how am I driving, man? man? Hey, we're parked, that, man. You know? but, but the thing is, is so I was, I had like a little stash box on me. So I had a, a metal Star Wars lunchbox sitting on the seat right next to me. <laughs> That's suspicious. And all, and all my stuff was in it. So it was literally sitting on the seat. And so when the cop reached in to get my keys, he was like as close to you and you and Nat are now, Mike. And he didn't took up, didn't look in the didn't lunchbox at all. It was just right <laughs> there. And so there's your guardian angel, right? Something. And so, you know, I got arrested. I went to jail and then Wait, they arrested you for parents, the speeding, but nothing to do with the drugs. No, they had no idea I was even oh, on drugs. Amazing. Right? What is this, a the state trooper? To... What kind of asshole arrest you for speeding? <laughs> yeah, I state trooper. 101 miles an hour. So it was like 50 you know? over yeah, the speed limit. What's the speed limit? Yeah. Was it 55 or was it like 65? Yeah. You know, like, hey, that's it reckless was, driving. I think it, was, it was 55. So yeah, that's, that's 55. It's only 52 miles an hour over the speed limit? <laughs> yeah, that's I like mean, felonious. I tried to explain that to the cop. So, yeah. He was really angry. And they, <laughs> they weren't yeah. having it. I was just on my way to fill out some paperwork. Yeah, go um, But... <laughs> and so that was it. And so I, I, it was, you know, getting put in those handcuffs. I'll never, I'll never forget. Yeah. That, that sound, right. I'll the never... click, <laughs> clink, clink, clink. Right. And so I was, I was taking, and of course, in my mind, it was like, okay, I got to get out of here and get back to my stash. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, what they do so with the I car? Did they tell you a car? Jail and then, yeah. Where'd they put the Ferrari? So that's the kicker. No, the Ferrari. No, it was, <laughs> I forget what it was. Uh, but they left it on the side of the road. Um, and the cop said, oh, it's, you know, it's fine. It's not going to get towed. And so I went to, went to jail, got arraigned. And then as we were driving back to my car, uh, I think an, the state trooper basically, there was somebody with a tow truck and they're getting ready to tow my car. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I had to use what money was on me, what I was going to spend to buy drugs to pay off the tow truck driver. Um, but I was like, oh, okay, I'll just go empty out my bank account. So that's what I did. Um, and then that's it. And so I think not af not long after that, you know, I proposed uh, to my wife. Um, and we, we went away. <laughs> it's the our, perfect like, time. Yeah. I know, right? We went away on our beach vacation. And, and I think at that point... I, it was sometime in August, and I think I received the my court date officially was September 9th um, of 2014, I believe. Uh, and so, anyway, before that court date happened, I had to tell my parents because it was like I'm I'm going to go to jail. I they need to know, and so they knew. Um, and so I ended up going to court on September 9th. And I don't, I don't like saying this because I, so I went to jail for three days and that was like Ugh, three nights. And I mean, I was, a, what kind of well, insane places Virginia that'll send you to jail for three days for speeding. Stay out I, of the well, South, man. Jesus. Thank the, God. I'd be in jail judge. still. If <laughs> right. you know, Mike had but it was 101. If it's over a hundred yeah. miles an hour, then you go to jail. So instead of one mile, oh, they got me guys. Did, yeah. Like, did, you, your, did your lawyer contest the accuracy of that radar equipment in there? <laughs> I, mean, I got all kinds of no. legal questions. You could have pled that no. down. I mean, yeah. come on. I know. Where were you? Yeah. <laughs> I've been in traffic court more often than I like to admit lately. Yeah. It's uh, well, getting good at it. And so, so that's it. And so I was like, okay, this is just a slap on the wrist. And so because of, you know, the medication and the, the, the medical issues, I managed my dad and my 
psychiatrist. I was able to stay in a, a medical single in, Ooh, in the single. med ward. Yeah, yeah nice. I was just by myself in the medical ward with a bad TV and, you know, and that's it. Three days I was in and out. Um, and so that was September 11th, 2014. And by that time, I knew I was going to be a dad. Um, oh, wow. And so, okay. Yeah. And it's that'll, all that'll happening. Right. It's all happening. It is that'll, all at once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so people often ask me, you know, Zed, what was the, um, what was the reason what put you on the path to recovery? And it, you know, it wasn't the being arrested that didn't, that did that not do it. I wasn't quitting. And I think what did it and the one time that really stands out guys is when I was manipulating my, she was my fiance at the time, but I said, Hey, we're going to go into, you know, to Charlottesville to, you know, get maternity clothes. Really what we were going there to do was meeting my dealer. And mm. so when she found out what we were doing, it was yelling. And that was, that was it. And I think, so from, I got out on September 11th, 2014, and I got a clean on October 11th, 2014, which I just celebrated nine years a few weeks ago. Hey, very um, good. Awesome. Thank yes. you. Thank did you. we do a thing? And so, did hey, we read did, it? Did we read it? Did we announce yeah. it? Yeah, okay, you good. did. We did. You did. Okay. Um, and so, the, and yeah, and so then it was a month of my use and then, you know, and so that was, that was that, you know, we, um, <laughs> You know, and I guess this is where it gets, I always tell people, I know I'm bouncing all over the place, but I always tell people that my biggest regrets were when I was already clean. Mm. Um, yeah. So oh, if, so. It's, if it's any, oh, I'm going to tell you. So essentially, you know, um, so basically, you know, my wife and I, we were getting ready to have our, you know, first kid. And I didn't even know who I was because coming from that entitled background, I didn't even know how to take care of myself. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, I've got to figure out who I am as, because up until this point, the first 27 years of my life, it was nobody but me and, you know, you know, my addiction. And so all at once I had to learn how to be, you know, a husband, a father and somebody that's sober all at once. So I went from no responsibility yeah. to all the responsibility at once. That's a lot. Um, yeah. And I made a lot of decisions for my wife that I regret. Um, and so like, I wasn't really present um, during her pregnancy in the first nine months of my, or six to nine months of my son's life, because I was, you know, I was clean, mm -hmm. but I was out there running and gunning. So I wasn't using drugs. I was using the rooms. Mm -hmm. uh, I was you were like 90 and 90 or like 180 and 90 type of thing. Right. You correct. were just and fully so ensconced. I was going to meetings. Yeah. Right. I was going to meetings and I was completely ignoring the home front. And that was, it was just as bad. Interesting. Um, your sponsor would say, <clears throat> yes, Zed, but had you not done that and missed that time, had you not sacrificed that, you would not now have the time you're having, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. That's and, what and you that's would tell exactly. your sponsee too. It's like, you know, yeah, that sucks you missed that, but that's the sacrifice you made to have the life you have. Right. And, you know, and I think the thing now is that there, understandably, my wife has a lot of resentment for that period. And so that is something that. Yeah. Is, Mike rolled his eyes. <laughs> I'm just saying what they would say. I'm not saying I agree with it, you know? No. And, and so the, and so basically, yeah, it's like now I have to sit and live with the, the results of my mistakes. Mm. Um, and so, and that was it. And as time went on, you know, I work in dead end jobs and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was still working on after school programs mm -hmm. I was like, so my student teaching got flushed down the toilet uh, because I was just, basically, I wasn't doing what I needed to do. Mm. And um, this was before just the backpedal. And I know I'm all over the place, but 
Um, is this some of this making sense? Because yeah, it's all making just, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many words. Okay. Life right. isn't a straight so, line, Ed. Don't worry. Oh, I know that recovery <laughs> isn't this way. It's this. <laughs> yeah, it's this um, spaghetti. And so, and so, basically, I during my student teaching, this was before I got clean. Um, basically, the people from the university were like, you know, you need to do this if you want to continue. And I was just like, fuck this. I just want to go home and get high. And so that was teaching was done. Mm. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so it was miserable being sober and jumping from job to job. And so I was, I, I applaud my wife because she went on with being a teacher and, you know, she held down the fort and was, you know, the primary breadwinner. Mm. Um, and my dad would also, you know, help a lot financially. Um, and so, and that was, and that was it, you know, and then I bounced around from, from job to job. And then at some point during that time. And so I think, I mean, my first son, when he was born in 20, in 2015 and I got clean in 2014. So, you know, both of my kids that never know me high and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Mm. Um, um, but pardon me. And so, so that was it. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so my wife basically had to put up with, you know, another a big big kid because i didn't know what i wanted to do and so i started working with a, uh, a job coach by chance and i was just i was just miserable because i had no purpose and yeah. so um but you know i got better at the work-life balance and then i like i said i fell into a job coach i found out about this peer recovery thing um and i took the course and you know um that was 2019 and then i've just been doing this ever since and this is you know, this is, I know this is what I was always meant to do. Um, yeah, that's So yeah, that's, that's how I got on this path. That's wow. awesome, man. That's mm -hmm. amazing. And just to, just to back, I know we're, we're running out of time, but. Okay. Um, I just had a couple follow-ups, but go ahead. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Wait. Mm -hmm. So yeah, do the follow-up because I forgot. Or... Just real quick. And yeah. so um, I, we had our, now I have two kids. And so we had our second kid. He was born in 2021. Um and so that's it. So I have a, uh, an eight-year-old, almost nine-year-old, and then I have a uh, little man. He's He'll be two in December. Oh, wow. Um, that's a lot of fun. So, Things are still busy is, at your house. Yeah. Very busy. Um, and it was weird, like, and I often feel bad for my eldest son because, like, I wish I was this way now mm. with him. Because yeah. my youngest son is getting the best version of me. I have that um, same feeling, Zed. Right? I completely, completely feel that with my so kids as well. Yeah. And so that's where I am currently. And I've yeah. got, you know, I'm a registered peer recovery specialist. I'm working in the field. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I've been, my history and what I've fallen into my own. And it just, I feel very lucky and, and blessed um, that I get to work with people in recovery. Uh, because although I don't work exclusively with clients, there's a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy and grant funding and stuff, but I'm where I'm meant to be. And, you know, I went through hell and I'm still here and I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm really blessed to be sitting here with, with you guys right now. And, you know, I love what I do. Awesome. And that's man. it. And that, that is my fantastic. job. Is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you, when you were uh, first coming around uh, and exploring ways to get sober was was there another way presented to you or was it always aa like did anybody ever mention smart recovery or the the fact that there no. were other modalities out there i mean i didn't even know about smart recovery until i started my internship at the community services board where i now work and i just it's just, for me the 12-step program it just it just clicked and yeah. that was it and i i 
I didn't even care if there anything was else out there. I was mm, just right. like, I, I need this. And I just kept, kept working it. And I think it's, it's very interesting because your, your, your last guest, Dave Smith, I think he said something um, very great. It was like, even if you aren't in it, you just keep going. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what, and so I did and I love it and I've been in it ever since I've had the same sponsor for over eight years. Oh, that's great. It, I work the steps. I do service work <laughs> and this is where I am. I mean, Dave really impressed me with that uh, last mm-hmm. week because he, he was like, I, I don't believe in, you know, God, higher power, all that shit. He's like, I was just like, well, fuck it. I'll just do what they're telling me to do. You know, I got on my knees every night and yeah. I prayed and uh, I didn't, I didn't know what I was praying to. And the, the funny thing is now did the same thing. Yeah. Right. I've known a lot of people and who said that same thing. Yeah. It's, it's very, really good. It got me thinking. It's I'll called, that. that's the faith part of it. Yeah. Right. And so speaking on faith and so this is all these changes. So, um, I think also what's a big part of me now is, um, I'm actually can not to open up a whole new bag of worms, but I'm converting to Judaism. What? Oh, wow. so part of my, awesome. yeah, so I'm in the conversion process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm, you know, at some point I was just like, I got to move beyond this metaphysical, all, you know, this spiritual presence. And so I'm just trying to get to know God and just better my life. And so that's, that's it. That's no other big, that's it. So second kid converting and we got to send a uh, box from Katz's. <laughs> is, <clears throat> is your wife Jewish or is this, how no. did you arrive at Judaism? Like, were you, ra- you were right. Raised Jewish, so, I assume. Right, I know we're running out of time. So my dad was Jewish. My mom was okay. Episcopalian. All right, so there is there is Judaism in the family. Yeah. Okay, because usually it's and not so, a conversion religion. Like, yeah, there's a couple well, of temples <clears throat> out there that'll take anybody. But I'm like, well, like yeah, so it's a even, mix. How do you get in there? Because I've often thought like that might be cool. It's tricky. To be Jewish. I mean, you know? the, no. when you have two parents of the the two, uh, you know, right. Christian and a Jewish, well, you can sort of you know, pick, I guess. Like right, me, I did the same of, thing. Yeah, a lot of rabbis will be like. Uh, what you know? Just I want to convert to Judaism. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't want this. No, you don't. No, 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 no. Especially in the climate, we yeah. you know, yeah. what a time to convert. Anti-Semitism and as it's high in yeah. the political atmosphere, and I'm like, fuck it, I'm all in, and yeah. I'm really, yeah. I'm really into it. And it's That's like you great. are or you're not. I'm like you know, like inside, you're you, you wouldn't yeah. be doing that if you weren't already um, feeling well, that in your reform, soul. Reform, I think, in Reform Judaism, Judaism just generally is a magical lineal, but in the Reform school of thought, is you're Jewish when you say you're Jewish. Yeah. Um, it's like alcoholism. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> I'm working, an alcoholic. Been, yeah. Wow. Well, the only requirement for membership is the like, desire to stop going to church. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good. That's good. (laughs) That is good. Give me the thank you. (laughs) All right. Last question. Uh, Yeah, I have to go to work. You seem to visit your dealer (laughs) a lot. How much weed were you buying at a time? I don't know, man. Like pounds. It seems like if you bought like a pound, you would have to go less. Yeah. You know. Right. So you 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 know you have a problem when your dealer goes, "Hey, you've been coming to see me too much. Yeah. You gotta. You got. When your dealer says you have a problem, get some help. Yeah. I'm cutting you (laughs) off. Drink a beer once in a while. So a lot, a lot. I was. It was. It was usually just you know like a quarter at a time and. And and that was it. But I was using constantly, and maybe it would have been more cost effective. Yeah, um, but you're not really thinking that, that way. way. I never thought no. that way with crack. It was always like, well, let me. Ju- I have twenty dollars. Let yeah. me just go get twenty. I kept telling myself, I'm not going to smoke more than this, you know. And then an hour later, I'm like, I need another one. I'm running up the exactly. streets of the Bronx trying to <laughs> find know? more. And 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 that was the thing, like you know, um, 
you know, a lot of people will sometimes look, look at me and I mean, my drug of choice was pot and I don't tend to focus on that because there is just certain stigma attached to it. But, mm. you know, there is no difference. I mean, my hunt for pot was no different than mm-hmm. a hunt for crack or, or whatever. Like, and so that's what I try to focus on yeah. people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, 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 I bought a lot. I should have bought more at a time. Uh, it, but yeah. I'm not castigating you. I'm just, just curious. No, no, like, I'm the same right, way. Why didn't I buy more? more at a time, I probably would have smoked more. If we were all thinking clearly and doing the math, right. we wouldn't be drug addicts, right? Come on. Oh, man. I tell my wife all the time, like, if I had even, like, if I had a dollar, say $5 every time I bought a oh, bag, I'd be a rich, rich, rich man right now. Don't think about it. Don't right think about it. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Don't even think about it. Uh, all right. All well, right. I, I think, think I... Yeah. We got to do the rest of the show. Are we? Yeah, we got to do the rest uh, of the show. Okay. It's All right. It's going to be fun. Okay. Thanks, Ed. We appreciate you coming on. I think the monsters are going to get, and everyone who's listening is going to get a lot out of your yeah. story. And uh, I really appreciate right. it. Can yeah, it's you, really great to meet you. Is it possible? Can you make it? Could you send me a link by email of the show? Because I want to send it to everybody at yes. the community services board and all the clients and hopefully oh, we'll get yeah. some more listeners. Of course. Um, That'd be awesome. 100%. percent there's like, 40 people on my team. And so it's going to go out to them and then the clients. And so yeah. well, maybe we could do the video of the interview so they don't have to listen to the rest of the show. And then we'll send them. Cool. All no, right. The whole show. Yeah. You want the whole yeah. thing? All right. Yeah. You got it, man. We'll try not to say anything too offensive. Thank you guys. All right. Thank Zed. you. All right. Thank have a great you. day. All right. See you guys on the discord. Yes. You bet. Bye. All right. Please. Peace. And that's it. Oh, cool. That I have that. to blow my nose. I've been sniffling. The entire time is driving me nuts. Is there a tissue bag down here? A tissue bag? A bag of tissues. <laughs> I have to blow my nose. Uh, Shall we take five? Yeah, let's take five. And we'll be right back after these, these words. And, and we're back. And we're back. I love saying that. I know. You say it better. Because <laughs> I irritates, completely irritates overdo it. No end. <laughs> so uh, that was that was a great interview. Zed. That, that, uh, that reveal at the end, like, hey, I'm converting to Judaism. Yeah. I was like, I nearly spit out my Manischewitz when he announced <laughs> that. I can't. I've never. You never hear someone say I'm converting to Judaism. So congrats. Mazel tov and, you know, lachayim. It's, to life. It's a good tale. And, and you know, you often forget, like, that pot is a drug. And yep. despite the fact that it's becoming more socially acceptable, there's a lot of people out there that struggle with it. You know, I know uh, uh, many people who are clearly addicted to uh, to weed, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, same thing that, you know, he mentioned uh, mushrooms. Um, and I distinctly recall when I was in high school, um, I was definitely addicted, and it's not in the sense that you think, like, I'm sweating, I need it. It was like every weekend came around, and if I didn't get out of myself, yeah. if I didn't go back to that place you know, using the acid or the mushrooms, I was, I was miserable. I wasn't myself. And so thank you so much, Zed. It was great to meet you. You know, it's, it's interesting when you talk to these guys on, on the Patreon, and you mm-hmm. sort of get a, a vision in your head about who they are. Right. And then when you're looking them in the eye and just having a conversation, it's, right. a, whole different, it's a whole different world. So, so but then when cool. you go back to the Discord, yep. do you picture them the way that they were, that you always pictured them, or do you picture them the way that they were after you've seen them? 
Because I, sometimes the brain you go is back. funny that way. Yeah. It goes back. Yeah. Then. I did that intentionally with a, a podcast I listened to, Mysterious Universe. They started doing one of my favorite shows. It's a paranormal show. I love these guys. Mm. I'm like obsessed. And uh, they started doing video shows. And I'm like, do I want to see these guys? Yeah. And I was kind of like hesitant. And I did. And I, I was like, I don't like this. That's not what I've been picturing. It doesn't fit my my vision, so I recording just, in progress. I Whoops. switched back. <laughs> no, this isn't going. <laughs> I'm gonna put the video. So <laughs> I switched back and um and I just pictured them the way I used to because I was happier. In their underpants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> their underpants, but Zed, I'll always picture as he is. Not in his underpants. As he was on our laptop, your laptop in Castle Grayskull. Yes. Thank you, Zed. Okay. Uh, moving on to the next segment of the show, we're going to keep it a little lighter on the old uh, content. Yeah, life, <laughs> lifestyle updates and so forth this week because we've uh, um, running out of time. One so. thing I'd like to announce, it is my son's 13th birthday today, Noah. Congratulations. I can't believe. You um, made it 13 years, kid. And I was, I was telling him the story of his life this morning. I said, I remember the day you were born. You know, we, you came out, and there you were, and all these years later, you're still alive. And in between, shit happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things happened. The most important, the most amazing thing is he's still alive. Yes. We've kept him alive this long, because that was yeah. my biggest fear when they gave him to us. I, well, always, right? I'm like, I'm in charge of this? Yeah. Are you crazy? Have you met me? Clearly, yeah. they haven't. So, yeah. congratulations that's why and happy that, that's birthday. That's why our wives don't like to leave us alone with the kids. No, yeah. for very good reason. <laughs> okay. We uh, no, uh, no recovering the, the news. Yeah, all right. Recovery in the <laughs> news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Recovery in the news. A motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Theater kids. So, am I right? Anybody wants to? Uh, See that we may be posting the video, some video from the show. Yeah, that was um, a decent one. We can post the video of recovery in the news. <laughs> we can. You can sing along, dance along. I'll just cut the. I don't know. Mm. So uh, Adele has been in the news. You know Adele? Yes, she's a singer. Some what renowned. was that famous song? I don't know. Uh, calling out to you. Something sounds. That's exactly what it sounded like. Too. <laughs> it was something I, like. I, I, I can you hear me? I'm not a huge fan of Adele. And it's just her voice like was too, sounded too much. A little too much like Amy Winehouse. She can me. sing. I mean, listen, yeah, she's I got guess. those pipes. God was bless she, her. Was she on? Uh, was she on America's Got Talent or something beforehand, or did she? <laughs> is she an organic? You're thinking talent? of Susan Boyle. No, I, I'm not. <laughs> just thinking of Susan. I rarely think of Susan Boyle. <laughs> now you're all thinking. I was of Susan thinking Boyle. of what's her name? The one, uh, the other one. Yes, Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, Kelly this, Clarkson. This is not. You know, she. I think she had her own record deal or something. Anyway, this is from The Guardian, which is a British paper mm. um, from, I guess, their page six. It's called The Conversation. Uh-huh. Uh, British singer-songwriter Adele says she has quit drinking. Wow. Describing herself as a borderline alcoholic when she was in her 20s. Okay. She grows. She grows. She's presumably still growing. She <laughs> joins a growing number of people who are trying to quit or reduce their drinking. But what does borderline alcoholic mean? And is it a real thing? Tell me more. It's not all or nothing anymore. I'm, by the way, I'm extremely excited that this message is getting out there and that a place like The Guardian mm. is recognizing that we're not talking about an all or nothing. Like some people are alcoholics and some right. people aren't. Either right? you're the, the bum under the bridge in the trench coat in the paper bag or you're not. Because this is the, this is, I've been saying this. 
for years. They never listened to and you. They never listened to me. Maybe now they in, will. In the early days of alcohol treatment, people used to think of problems with alcohol as all or nothing. Hmm. They used to believe there was something different about people who had problems with alcohol and those who didn't. That's how the idea of an addictive personality came about. Hmm. But now we think of drinking on a continuum. It goes from not drinking. It continues and continues. To dependent drinking. Ah. And people can move up and down that continuum at different points in their lives. The old saying, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, doesn't apply anymore. No. Hmm. Take us, for example. We don't wake up craving. I know. And now we don't (laughs) wake up, crave, dream about, or need alcohol. Now, I'm sorry. This must not be from The Guardian because, okay, they put a... They put a um, Guardian a- tweet, but it's at, but okay. The conversation is from Australia, Aye. and this is why I know uh, the Australian National Alcohol Guidelines say that healthy men and women should drink no more than ten standard drinks a week, or no more than f- four a day. Wow, <laughs> Australia is a little higher than You're the rest of the world. When cut it, comes it off to that. at four, guys. I think at in the U.S. it's two a day. I think for, two for, for men, men. Or one for women. Yeah, but Australia it's just four across four. the board. <laughs> Um, They're built differently. Most Australians drink within these guidelines. (laughs) There's a a large subset that don't, but most do. But they're Um, ostracized or drink more. If you drink over those guidelines, you are more likely to experience a number of long and short-term problems, including alcohol dependence, cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. Um, 25% of Australians drink at risky levels. Risky levels. And 6% drink at such high levels that they would probably be dependent. Daily drinking is associated with dependence. And yet the recommendation is for people to drink four drinks a day. Yeah. So. Is it, you drink no more. They're not saying you should drink four. They're just kind of like, might you better not drink more. <laughs> drink more beer. <laughs> more beer, four mate. Beers. <laughs> uh, some Fosters. Fosters. Those, ever, I love those Fosters I oil used, cans. I, I used to enjoy those. Yes. They were like fresh flavor. And, in the 80s, you'd pull the tab off, and it was really like opening a can of oil. Yeah, you know, huge. Because you'd rip the tab off, and it would, you know. So manly. And you'd stick it in the can, and then choke on it. That sounds like college. <laughs> Wonderful day. Good times. <laughs> stick your um, finger in it and choke on it. But I, it's just weird to me that they say that four is acceptable, but daily drinking is a sign of alcoholism. But I guess, but they also say 10 a week is the limit. So if you drink four a day... Well, that's 35 drinks a week. Mm. So that's not 10. I think it doesn't help that Foster's is the official sponsor of the Australian Congress. Is it? No, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like it could fact, be true. That though. wouldn't surprise me. There's like a Foster's logo on the house there. I know. The, the term alcoholic is rarely used by health professionals anymore. It can make people believe that there's nothing they can do about the problems they might be experiencing. Mm. So um, I think this is great. The terms we use now are uh, dependence mm-hmm. on a continuum from mild, moderate to severe. We talk about a, the range of problems other than dependence that people can experience, which also lie in a continuum. Dependence. The threshold for whether someone is a problem mm. or dependent drinker is not just how much they drink, although that is important. It's how many times you fall <laughs> off the lorry. <laughs> but also how severe the alcohol-related problems are. So... Some people can drink a moderate amount and have a lot of problems, and others can drink a lot and appear to not have any problems at all, which is, I don't know. When you start seeing alligator teeth appear in people's hats, <laughs> that's how you know they have a problem. It's uh, like... <laughs> it's really, it's interesting though, right? Yes. Like, because um, what is a dependency? You can be dependent on alcohol if you're only drinking one or two drinks a day. I mean, if, if, 
if everything in your head is thinking like, ooh, when I get home, I can't wait to get that get that drink in me. Yeah, it's like a fine line. When you're looking forward to it, like I've got to have my drink in order to go to sleep. I think anytime you start Mm -hmm. being like that, um, you know, that's that's probably a dependency. And usually they used to say if you if you're questioning whether or not you're a drug addict or an alcoholic, try to not drink or use for a week. Mm -hmm. Really, just give it a shot. See what happens. See how you feel. Start examining your thought process. Do you start obsessing? Do you are you able to function? Or you could just do the Paul Churchill uh, recovery elevator test for if you have a drinking problem. It's a one-question test. The test is, are you Googling, do I have a drinking problem? <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> it's, a, it's like those know, tests. It's like if you're taking this are, test. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so that, my friends, is recovery in the news this week. Recovery in the news. Uh, Which brings us to... Weekend Weird... Uh, Sponsored by Scott Wick. Study ranks the most haunted states in America by Tim Banal. That's a spooky season special. A spooky new study. <laughs> the study itself is spooky. A spooky new study has produced a ranking of the most haunted states in America. Crafted in honor of the Halloween season, the, the chilling list comes courtesy of the online casino. <laughs> Wow. Uh, So this is courtesy of an online casino. Bonus finder. Some reliable sources. (laughs) Which, (laughs) why is an online casino doing this? Uh, Which utilize data from a variety of websites to determine the number of cemeteries, ghost sightings, purportedly haunted locations, and paranormal investigators in each of the 50 states. What a job. It's it's a good one. Um, I want that job. The, The study then compared that data to the respective population size in order to create a, quote, haunted score for each location. I love it. According to the study's findings, this very scientific, serious-minded study. It's sponsor- probably done by some craps dealer. <laughs> sponsored by an online casino. <laughs> the most haunted state in America is, drumroll, Texas. <laughs> Really? Texas, yeah, which earned the title in large part due to having more than 13,000 cemeteries. That's just the most dead people um, or <laughs> yeah. most places to bury them. Um, cemeteries as well as a staggering 7,517 reported ghost sightings per 100,000 people. Rounding out the top five were... I'm astonished that these stats exist. Isn't that amazing? So the, top, the, the next uh, top states were Maine, Florida... And Vermont, which tied for third, and North Dakota. As uh, North for, Dakota, yeah, that's the how last many dead one. people are in North Dakota. I think they're just seeing dead people. Uh, as for places where one is apparently safest from spirits, New Jersey ranked <laughs> dead last. It was uh, preceded by Arizona, Nevada, New York, and Maryland. Um, so let us know. Do you live in one of these haunted states? There's a New Jersey joke in there somewhere, but I can't. I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, there's something, there's something about gangsters and dead people. I don't know. Yeah, but somehow, somehow, New York ranked low. But if you're from one of these states, Texas or North Dakota, are you experiencing hauntings this holiday season? I know that Noah is very excited about. Um, he watches this YouTube channel where they go to the Conjuring House. And then, and then they do an investigation, and he mm. keeps watching it, and he's like, it's real, Dad, look at this. And I said, I told you. I told you it's real. So there's, there's haunting out there. Um, if you've got a haunt, haunting story um, from your town, send it in. We'd like to get them in on uh, before Halloween and read them on the air. Um, also, if you guys find yourself in the Cold Spring 
Harbor area of Long Island, mm-hmm. uh, and you are an Instagram person, you may have come across uh, a place, uh, a coffee shop that serves um, spooky lattes inside of a pumpkin, like a real pumpkin, a oh. small one. Oh, weird. Yeah. We had that at our wedding. We had pumpkin soup in mini pumpkins. That's cool. Yeah. But this is an Instagrammable moment, and uh, there's a line outside this place that goes down the block, Cold Spring Harbor, because they've been on Instagram. No kidding. So they're <laughs> they're $15 each. Is that in that weird little town that you, when yes. you go in Huntington, you just make a... Yes. Yeah, that's a fancy town, it's man. It's called... Raphael's or something. That's a really fancy town. Yeah, but there's like nothing in it. There's like two restaurants and now apparently an Instagrammable pumpkin restaurant. Very interesting. So, and Cold uh, Spring Harbor Labs where uh, DNA was discovered. That's right. Talk about spooky. There, there's some stuff going on over there. Francis Crick and uh, Watson. Yeah. And the other. Weren't they canceled for some reason? Yeah, Watson made some pretty controversial statements about... Is he about, a eugenicist? Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. But, uh, yeah. you know, he's old. He also, That's the excuse. Discovered DNA. So he did. A mixed bag, as it's they a say. Mixed <laughs> All right. Uh, and that's Weekend Weird. Uh, does that do it for today? I mean, I hate to rush this one, um, but I think, you know, we had a great talk with... Smoke weed every yes, day. Yes, Zed. It was great to talk to Zed. And I think that about does it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? I really did. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Nope, don't do that. A- and someone reached out to us from the <laughs> Monksterverse, by the way, and said, did you see that message? I did. Can we can we retain this person? To I'd like that? to. Someone wrote in and said, I know somebody who can maybe do a website. If you're that person, write that back because we need uh, we need to get that up and running. Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter, or X. So tweet us at twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. Um, we did have a good review. Do you oh, remember? Shit. Yeah, we'll have to do it next week. We'll do it next week because it's a really good one. We'll read it at, something to do next week. at the top. Uh, give us a five stars. Um, come on to the Facebook, uh, the private group where we can recover together or for a higher level of fun and excitement, go to patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And the best way to help the show is to what? Share it with a friend. Are you going to let me answer? Oh, how, how should we do it? Forget it. You ruined it. Share it with a friend <laughs> and, has, and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's funny. Progress, not perfection. <laughs> Bringing back the Schwarzenegger. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> Stay fresh. Cheese bags. Be good. Bye. Bye. No uh, Chewbacca today.